Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the first collaborative effort from myself, Hank Alexand, Midnight Ride, and with me is my co-host, Sean Donahue from uh, Revolution Recap. And uh, kind of fate has put us together. We'll see how uh, our fate manifests itself and maybe a little bit better than the fate of the revolution, which is looking a little dire, wouldn't you say? Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, the, the Revs got a, actually what I would say was a surprising point um, last week, and I was going into that game, I would have been certainly happy with the point. The way it went, it looked like they could have gotten a win from that game or could have stolen a win um, the way they were playing in the first half, certainly. Uh, but they do have a tough road ahead of them. Uh, certainly not impossible with the way things have turned out. With uh, DC United losing and getting fortunate in that one, um, the Reds are still in a pretty decent position heading into the final stretch, however. Yeah, I'd have to agree, I think. Um, it's unfortunate that we're facing the top two teams in the East the last three games of the season. But uh, you know the way that Columbus played last week against Seattle, which on paper team that they should have easily handled I mean, Columbus beating Seattle, and that did not happen. So we'll have to see how that goes. And uh, I know they're going to be missing Robbie Rogers with uh, the national team duty. I'm not sure who else is uh, called up from Columbus, but uh, we can pretty much say for certain that there aren't any Revolution player uh, missing from the lineup due to national team duty. Yeah, that's for sure. So that that's an advantage there. And the other thing with Columbus is they've already clinched a playoff spot, so they don't have as much to play for right now as the Revs do. Uh, yes, they do want to play for the supporter shield, I'm sure, and they do want to play for the top seed. Uh, but even that, they're in pretty decent shape for right now with uh, Los Angeles and Houston two points back for the supporter shield and uh, having a game in hand on them. So it seems like the Revs have a lot more to get out of that game. So uh, that for them should be added motivation, and maybe they'll be playing the Columbus at the right time with these two games, where if earlier in the season, uh, Columbus would be have more to play for in this. Yeah, I I agree 100%. Um, the crew, like you said, not a lot to play for now, except for that top spot and Champions League. Uh, but don't they have a Champions League game coming up soon, the end of the season, like the 20th? Uh, I believe they do. They have a pretty tough schedule um, because of the Champions League. They have a game against the Puerto Rico Island, Puerto Rico Islanders on the 20th, so um, that's pretty pretty tough for them in there. Um, they're away at the Revs, then the next weekend they're at D.C., then they're at Puerto Rico, and then they come back here for that uh, home game against the Revs. So depending on how all that goes for them, uh, it's, it's going to be a difficult schedule, and I'm pretty sure that Puerto Rico game is fairly important for them as far as moving on in the Champions League as well, getting a result in that one. So uh, I think they're going to have a, a lot on the line in that game. And then when it comes to the last game against the Revs, they're already going to have a playoff spot locked up. By then, there's a very good chance they could have the supporter shield and the top spot in the East locked up. Uh, and then going in away against the Revs, uh, it's going to be difficult for them. I think it's a chance for the, for the Revs um, in that game to, to come away with something. Well, actually, that last game's in Columbus, but I think that's a good chance for the Revs to come away with something against a team that's going to be pretty tired. Yep. I think it's going to all fall into the Revs' favor, and it's up to the Revs now to take advantage. Uh, could be kind of tough for them to do, considering they're beat up, they're missing their captain, their leading scorer, uh, I mean, their all-time leading scorer. But uh, and now we don't know the situation. Really, Charlie Joseph either. Whether we don't know what Charlie Joseph's injury situation is either. Whether he'll be back to 100 percent. After this or not, so if that if that loss is out, that's going to be huge for the team. Uh, I think they can survive with Joseph still in the lineup and without all those other guys. Won't be easy, but I think they still have a shot. But if Joseph is out, uh, that's going to be a huge blow. Yeah, they, I don't think they get anywhere without him. It's really all down to him at this stage. I mean, I think it's up to him to kind of take the team and carry it on his back while they figure out what to do with the. Uh, assorted pieces remaining. I mean, you've got, well, last week we had a couple of injuries, last minute kind of things, you know, Jay Heaps, Jeff Lorenowitz, and then we had Wells Thompson out on a red card suspension, but I don't really see Wells, you know, 
he he plays anywhere. Um, he's not a really key cog to the way that the uh, revs get results. But at the same time, Nickel continues to use him, continues to rely on him. So um, it probably throws a uh, wrench in a Nickel's plan. Yeah, the one thing I I don't really understand about that last game is um, why we didn't see more subs towards the end there. We know it's tough to play in Colorado. I think there were certainly a few guys that were tired in that. Obviously, the bench was thin, but they do have a guy like Castro on there that I'm surprised we didn't get to see in that match. Uh, I thought he could have added a different dimension to that game late in the match. Uh, We know he's great at crossing the ball. We know he's good at set pieces, and that's something they really probably could have benefited from, at least in my opinion, late in that match when they were up a man. So I was surprised we didn't see uh, at least maybe him coming off the bench in that game. I was very surprised as well. I could not believe that they only used, I think he only used one sub. Yep. Uh, but I thought maybe we'd see Badia, and I thought maybe we'd see uh, Castro coming in on the left. Because Mansali was gassed. Yeah, he certainly looked at it. I can't remember the last time he's played 90 minutes for the Revs, so, and especially to go do it in Colorado. So it was surprising to me. I mean, even if they were worried about you know someone picking up an injury late in the game, uh, at least you could bring on the second sub. And they even waited to bring on uh, Videra till the 82nd minute. And that was for a guy, Kolaluka, who was playing pretty well in this match, too. So I questioned the substitution pattern in that game um, and wonder if they you know, could have gotten more out of it. Maybe they had put on some fresh legs. I think you're right. I, I'm, I'm in the camp where uh, I always, these days, am questioning Nichols' substitutions just because he'll, you know, you'll be down a man in a game and, you know, he'll take off uh, an attacking player and put on a defending player when when he's already down a goal. Yep. And, uh, you know, what you really – and I know that what he wants to do is get Shalry Joseph up front. And I can understand that, oh, if I'm moving Shalry Joseph up front, I need to fill his position in the midfield, and then I need somebody like Pat Phelan. Um who's Nichols' favorite, I guess. Well, Phelan's certainly a serviceable player for the team and, you know, fills him when they need him. But I don't think he's ever going to be a all-star caliber player or, you know, even a you know, great starter. He's not a bad guy to have on the bench, that's for sure. But uh, I don't think he's a guy that you want to be having to start every week, certainly. Well, I just don't think he's a goal scorer. I mean, if, you, if you're looking for offense... Why not throw on another attacking player rather than substitute one attacking player for Shalry Joseph, in effect, by moving him out of the midfield and into the forward line and then replacing Shalry with a more defensive-minded player? No, that, that's, certainly, any... that's certainly true. I don't think Phelan really adds anything to the offense, um, per se. But certainly, um, he's, like, he's a similar player... Um, to Jeff Runowitz, but doesn't have the attacking qualities of Runowitz, at least with the long shots. And I don't think he's even as good as winning winning the ball as Runowitz. But you know, I, I like like you said, I understand what Nichols is doing when he's trying to push Joseph up top and put Fan in the middle. I don't think he's too confident um, in just playing one defensive-minded midfielder back there. It seems like uh, that's again something that you know I always think of with this team is that the three-five-two is when they. You know, when they have the two defensive midfielders back there and they can still get an attacking player up there. I don't know if they still have the right personnel on the defense to do that, but that's something that, to me, is necessary for this team to really sustain uh, a solid attack throughout the year. We've seen a lot of games this year where the Reds really haven't been able to create much of anything. Um, there's times where they have. I think, actually, against Colorado, the attack looked pretty good in the first half. Uh, but overall, I think for this team to consistently be dangerous, I think that they need, you know, one more guy up there, especially when you don't have Twelman available and when you don't have Rawson available. It's frustrating for a uh, person that follows this team week after week and to see the lack of offense available when you've got guys on the bench like Castro, who was supposed to be this great dynamic player and central playmaker type of guy, and you've seen guys come in like Adam Chrisman and you watch him leave, and they never really replaced him with anybody. And I know the roster shrunk, and I know that there are all these new constrictions on the league. 
But at the same time, you've put all of your eggs in one basket of Taylor Twelman, and those eggs are broken. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> Just, that's certainly true. I mean, you got Dubé, who I think maybe you expect a little bit more out of this season. I mean, he scored eight goals. Uh, can't ignore that fact, but I, I don't think he's been done as well as or progressed as much as maybe we had hoped from last year. I don't think we ever could have really expected him to replace Twelman by any stretch, or even you know, become a star forward in this league, or, or even a great starter. But I, I think maybe you expect a little bit more out of him. Um, I, I think maybe you were hoping Mansali would develop more as a forward, where really he hasn't. And you know, I've seen him more on the left, and even there, you know, question how good he's done there. Um, but other than Dubé, they brought in Yankowskis. Um, we've seen what he can do. I, I don't think he's the guy to replace Twelman. I think he's you know got great great dribbling ability for a guy of his height. Uh, but I don't see a great finishing instinct from him, uh, especially with with the head. I see crosses coming in. Not, more often than not, I see him not winning 50-50 balls against defenders that are you know even like a foot shorter than him, and that's you know wearing when you see a guy of his height. Um, so I don't think he's a guy to replace Twelman. That's for sure. But they really other than that, who do they have? They brought in a Sengue who it seems like from the beginning they mentioned was going to be a guy that, you know, is more for the future than now. And, you know, he, he what we saw him one game when he first came, we really haven't seen him, you know, even on the bench or anything since then. Right. And they don't really have another a lot of other options. I've heard, you know, you know Igwe, I believe, used to play forward a long time ago. You know, what do you put him up there? But there's really a lack of options that this team has. And at this point, I don't think there's anything they can do about it for this season. Uh, they would have needed to make a move a while back, and unfortunately they didn't. You know, with, with the forward situation, um, I think that's why they're forced to put Shaw or Joseph up top because of the lack of options, and I don't think that's ideal either because, you know, he's one of the few guys left in the midfield that can create these chances with these, you know, solid passes, uh, especially with Steve Rawson gone and with Steve Nichol not really playing Caster, who's another guy that seems pretty creative and good at, you know, splitting the defense with his passes. You know, even if he doesn't have the speed of a guy like Mansali to beat the defense, you know, he's one of those guys that can make those great passes, hold possession well, you know, with defenders on him, he knows the smart play to make. So I'd like to see a little bit more out of him and see a little bit more time from him, you know, in his last three games, whether he will or not is another story. But certainly when it comes down to Wells Thompson playing left midfield, you know, I, I don't understand the advantage of him at left midfield over Mauricio Castro. I know some people aren't big fans of Mauricio Castro, but I don't think Wells Thompson is a left midfielder. He's played a couple of decent games there, but... When you have a veteran player like Mauricio Castro, or you have Wells Thompson, who's a right-footed player, you know, playing on the left. Yes, we saw him score a great goal you know, with his left foot, but I haven't seen him putting a great cross with his left foot, you know, in any of these games, and I think that's a little bit worrying. Um, but I, I think, as I was saying, that you really need Joseph in the midfield, and especially with Rawson out, because putting Pat Phelan in, you know, as you were saying earlier, you know, he's a guy that doesn't really add a lot to the attack. So if you can get a guy. And at forward, who can be that, you know, play the Taylor Twelman role? Obviously not of Taylor's caliber, because I don't think anyone is going to come in and fill that role. At least not unless they bring in a designated player. And even then, that's you know not going to be an easy thing to, to find that. And I don't think that's something that the team is willing to do right now. So it, it's a tough situation, and I don't think they they have the options right there right now to fully answer it. I think you're right. Um, so. I think we're agreed. Castro over Thompson. Yeah, certainly. Still out on Mansali. Yeah. Um, even though I I do think Mansali is much more comfortable on the left side than he was at forward. I think that was probably too much responsibility thrown on him to carry the team from an offensive standpoint. Um, but like you said, we still need more production out of him from there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we saw in the Under-20 World Cup, where I believe is where the Reds coaching staff exactly. discovered him and Niasi, is that he really played uh, left midfield, not forward. And that, and I think from the beginning, that was really his position, even though we haven't you know, seen him play there very much for the Reds to, to begin with. But now we're seeing more of it, and I think that's what we want to see from him, is left midfield, because that's where he can use his speed and use his left foot to get in crosses, where he's not like a target forward like Dubé or like anyone else really on the team at this point in time. Uh, he's not a guy out there that's going to win headers and score goals. So I, I think with his speed on the left, it's a dangerous, dangerous uh, position for him to be in, similar with Niasi. But both of them, the quality of their service is questionable. I mean, sometimes they'll put in really great crosses. We've seen some great ones from Niasi yeah. uh, to, to lead to goals, but 
uh, consistency is not there for either of them. And I think that's something they need to work on. A guy like Rawson, who's a veteran, I think would be, you know, a good guy to help him with that, a good guy for them to learn from because he's great with those crosses. And like I said, I think Castro's great with the crosses as well. He's just not a guy that's going to use the speed to beat a man. It's two different players when you're looking at Mansali and Castro because Castro's a guy that you know is going to be putting in dangerous crosses consistently. Uh, however, he's not really going to be beating defenders very often, where Mansali provides that other threat, uh, but the, the service isn't there. I think at this point, the Revs need the service um, from a guy like Castro consistently because they're not creating that many chances, and I don't think Mansali uh, is getting forward and really creating shots for himself too much either. Uh, however, I certainly don't think the Revs should give up on Mansali. I think he's you know, provides another dimension that, you know, over the years, I think a lot of Revs fans talk about, you know, we don't have speed on this team, and now we do. And now the complaint is that the, the guys that have the speed, you know, aren't aren't skilled enough to, you know, put, put in the dangerous balls consistently that we want to see from them. Yeah, you know, you brought up speed, which is something that this team is definitely has. And uh, one of the speediest guys is lighting up the field from right back at Kevin Halston. He's just been fantastic, and uh, I think before the end of the season, we're going to see him score a goal. I'm counting on it. it. It certainly looks like he's trying to. He's getting forward a lot, uh, and he's got great speed, and he provides great you know, threat down that right wing. Certainly it's something that you need when you're playing this 4-4-2, especially with two you know, defensive-minded mid- midfielders in the center. Uh, you want your, your outside backs to get forward. Jay Heaps ha- has been kind of inconsistent about getting forward, but I think some of that is because Austin gets forward so much that he needs to often pinch inside to make sure that you know, there's no holes there when on quick counterattacks. Because I think there are times that you know, as, as great as it is to see Austin getting forward, sometimes maybe he doesn't pick his spots well enough because there are certainly times where you know, they have gotten a counterattack and you know, gone down that side and he hasn't been there and hasn't been able to recover quick enough, you know, as good as he has been for this team. Yeah, and I think with the absence of heaps, Igwe has probably been a bit more tentative to go up front, and so Austin's probably taking advantage of that to a point, and Nichols probably also given... Alston a little bit more license than he would Igwe. I mean, Igwe, as I think everybody knows, was a bit in the doghouse. Um, you know, here's a generation Adidas player. He's obviously got some talent. He very skilled at left back, in my opinion, and just uh, and did very well there. But he had a couple of gaffes at center back, had some defensive lapses, which led to some goals. Um, nothing catastrophic. But uh, given the choices at left back, you know, you have Chris Tierney or uh, Amici Igwe. And I prefer Igwe at left back. It's it's a toss-up, really, in terms of their crossing ability. I mean, I think Tierney probably has the edge there. Yeah. Um, And... But defensively, Igwe's got the speed to uh, match the wings that attack down there. So Tierney's just not that fast. Um, yeah, I, I I agree with you there. I think Igwe um, has gotten, you know, unfortunate. He played in center back in several games, I believe, in the Open Cup as well as in the Superliga. And I, it was a Superliga where he was really caught. I don't think he looked good in any of them at center back. And the Superliga was really caught up and I think directly responsible for, you know, I know one goal in the final, possibly two, um, and you know they still managed to win that game. But he certainly didn't look good. Um, I, I've seen him, the games I've seen him at left back, though. I think he's looked fine. I think his speed is certainly an asset for this team, um, both defensively and offensively. I, I believe it was against Colorado where he connected pretty well with Mansali on a given go and created some you know dangerous opportunities down the left flank. Um, and I think that's something that we should see more from him. He has, as I mentioned, that he wasn't more of an attacking player. Um, earlier in his career before joining the Revs. So I think he's a guy that that has a lot of upside. I don't know if he's even going to be here next year. I think his contract is probably up at the end of the season. I don't know for sure on that, but I think he's a guy that we're going to see more of heading into the playoffs if Jay Heaps is still out. Um, however, the fact that Jay Heaps was on the bench, I don't know you know, if he's if he's going to recover in time for next week or what. But I, I do think that Igwe is a good option at left back, and I would certainly think he's a better option than Chris Tierney, who, as you said, is good at crossing the ball, is good at you know set pieces, good guy to have out there for that. Um, I, I would say, from what I've seen, which is obviously a pretty small sample size of these two players, that um, Igwe is not as good as cro- at crossing the ball. 
However, he does have a lot more speed, and I, I think he can be more dangerous uh, getting forward. And I think his speed is you know, important getting back because there are a lot of fast and speedy wingers in this league that you know he has to go up against. And I think Tierney is easier to beat for speed, certainly um, playing left back. I don't think Tierney really is a left back either because uh, I, I don't think in college at all he played left back. I'm pretty sure he was a, pretty strictly a left midfielder. And I don't think that's his natural position. He's looked he's looked serviceable there. He has done a decent job playing left back. I don't think he's made any big mistakes, but I think Igwe is has certainly has more upside at that position. Again, we agree. <laughs> so not a lot of contrasting uh viewpoints here, but just looking at the injury list, it looks like uh Heaps is very doubtful for this weekend. So I think we can't expect Igwe there. Um I've often thought, uh, we won't see it this weekend, but I've often thought that Igwe would be uh, good at the defensive midfielder position. What's your thought on that? You know, I, I don't know. I haven't. It, it would certainly be interesting to see him uh, there. I, I kind of wonder if playing centrally isn't the best thing for him after playing central defense, but, I mean, it is a different position. Um, he's got a lot of speed. He, I think he's good at you know, winning balls in that spot, but I'm not so sure... You know, he's the great, great guy at keeping possession in that area where it's, you know, a vital position to get the ball and make a smart pass. I, I think maybe over time he could play there, but I'm not sure. I think Ose is the guy that has shown signs to me that he could play, uh, as a center midfielder, center defensive midfielder. I don't know if, I don't think they want to take him out of the back, but I think in the future, if, you know, Badia was ever healthy enough or fit enough to play and if, um, he was actually good enough, which we don't know because we haven't seen him, um, that that would be an option. But it's certainly interesting to see Igwe play there. I don't think at this point in the season you really want to try that. Um, maybe in the preseason that's something that they could experiment with, but uh, it would be an interesting experiment, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know he gives you that little bit of extra speed that maybe Jeff and uh, Shari don't have. Um, you know, Shari and Lorenowitz both are very aggressive on the ball and uh, will win you that ball in the midfield. Um, we don't necessarily know if Igwe can do the same. Um, but what he can do is make up for it in speed. And uh, I don't know. It's something that I'd like to see. And I agree with you about Ose. What a surprise. I agree. Uh, but Ose is one of those guys that um, is very quick to the ball, a lot like Michael Parkhurst in that uh, he is a great anticipator. And he reads the ball well, and he's actually got great foot skills. Yeah, he, de- he definitely does. And, you know, he's a guy that, um, when they have so few options at forward even, you know, he's got a strong, certainly strong guy, uh, got some height. I, I wouldn't mind even seeing him in some of these situations. Obviously now they need him at left back because of the injuries, but there were times earlier in the season where, you know, I was looking at the bench and they didn't have any forward options. You know, a guy gets injured. You know, I don't know if he'd be a horrible option up there. I'm pretty... Like I said, I'm pretty sure he's played forward in the past um, before coming to the Revs, and you know, even that with his speed and you know his size, you know, maybe we could see him there at some point even. But you know, it, it might not even be a point to consider because there's, I think there's a pretty good chance he won't be with the Revs next year. Yeah, I agree. He is a Generation Adidas player. He is at the end of his contract, I believe. Um, he's been with this squad for at least three years. And I think that's the length of every generation Adidas contract. Um, so we might be uh, closing the book on the Amici Igwe era at uh, Gillette Stadium. But uh, we do have this mystery player that we, we've touched on, in, uh, Gabby Badia. And uh, we, we, like you said, we just haven't seen a lot of him. We don't know what he's going to do. Um, it's funny to me that he played that one game, and we haven't – I think it was a U.S. Open Cup. We haven't seen him since. Yeah, and, and after that game, um, the next game, I believe someone asked him about Nick, Steve Nichol about Badia, and he said, oh, he's not matched, but we haven't had any chance to get him game time, which is interesting. Just the week before, he played in the, in the Open Cup game. I, I don't know if he's re-injured himself or what. Um, I've, I've heard various you know, things about what the, what the deal is with him, but you know, I just don't know. It's speculation at this point. Um, right. I, w- I would think at this point, um, if he hasn't been re-injured, that he's certainly had enough training to 
you know, get in some sort of shape to take the field. I would hope so anyways, unless the, this injury was something different than what we've been told. So it's surprising to me that with all these injuries, um, we haven't seen him more at some point in this season. Uh, I, I just don't know. I know he's making a, a fair amount of money trying to actually find his salary right now, but I don't, I don't think he'll be back next year, certainly unless we see something from him the rest of the season. It's surprising to me that they would you know, go out and get this guy. And I, I believe even he was talking about you know, trying to make the national team uh, for World Cup qualifiers at the start of the season, get healthy and do that. Uh, obviously, that's out of the question for him the way, the way he's not getting any playing time. But uh, it's surprising to me that with all these injuries, you know, with all these rookies playing, that we haven't seen him at all in league play, um, even when guys go out hurt like Jay Heaps did, that he hasn't been off the bench. Yeah. And I did a little bit of research on that. Um, if you look at the three guys that don't play really for the Revs, that aren't on the injured list. You got Albright. Well, got Albright is on the injured list. Sorry, he is out. Yeah. Um, but he is on. Uh, he is the guy that hasn't played all season. Um, he's making over a hundred thousand um, dollars. And you got both Albright, um, sorry, Badia uh, and Castro, both on there, as well. Um, both making over a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it looks like combined they're making about two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Yep, it's pretty bad. And if you look at that, I think the three of them are accounting for twenty percent of the active salary roster, or roster salary, whatever it is. The three players that haven't really played a minute for the rest of the season, and you know, they're paying all this money out to them. And you have to look at who's making the decisions behind bringing these players in. Now, Albright probably would have played because uh, he's a veteran and they probably would have brought Alston on a little bit more slowly. Um, but Alston's proven himself to be a starter, so if Albright never comes back, I don't think anybody will miss him. Um with Badia, however, and Castro, both of these guys had their shots last year. Uh, Castro a bit the year before. And Castro's always been on the cusp of really breaking out and having a great season. Um, you know, just maybe a half step away from scoring his first goal for the Revolution. That wasn't a uh, penalty kick shootout or something. Um, but... Uh, Badia did not look sharp in his few games last season for the Revs, and there was speculation whether or not he was injured or if he just didn't mesh with the team. And obviously with um, Michael Parker's gone, uh, everybody was expecting him to step in. That didn't happen. We had Jay Heaps kind of fill in for a while at the center, um, and then we got this kind of African version of Michael Parkhurst, but, you know, on 10 times speed. Yeah. He seems to be all over the place and just uh, maybe a bit bit more of a loose cannon than Mike. And yeah, def- say. definitely. And talking about Badia, though, I, I think last year what I saw from him, or at least my impression was that, you know, he was a pretty skilled player. It was just comes down to that, you know, he wasn't meshing well with Parkhurst. I don't think the two of them, you know, played well together. And certainly he joined the team late in the season and didn't get a chance to play with him in preseason. Uh, you know, my thoughts going into this season was, oh, great, he's going to get a preseason with this team. He's going to get the opportunity to you know, learn to play with these guys in a less pressure situation. And, you know, that didn't happen because of his injury. And, you know, now he's coming back late in the season. Same similar situation, you know, different guys back there. You know, you don't really want to switch up the defense and bring him out there uh, if you don't have to. Uh, based on what we saw last year, where, where you know he, he didn't really mesh with Parkers. I think Parkers looked a lot worse, to be honest, uh, in a four-man back line even than he did yeah. in a three-man back line. I think him and Badia uh, both weren't looking very good at the end of last season when the team was playing with a four-man back line. As far as Castro, this season he hasn't really had a chance to you know get a few games under his belt in a row uh, and kind of build something off of that. It seems like every time he plays, you know, he goes back to the bench, you know, maybe see some time as a sub. He hasn't really seen that much time at all over this season. And 
the time he has seen, I don't think he's looked bad. I think he's actually put in you know, some decent service. I believe he has an assist you know, from the few minutes he's played. And right. I, I, I don't think he's looked bad at all. I think he's got as many assists maybe as Mansali at this point of the season uh, with all the games Mansali's played. Uh, so I, I would like to see more of him. I'd like to see these, you know, these last three games at least see time off the bench um, because you know he's unquestionably a, a skilled option to have. And in these games that the Revs are losing, or that they need to keep possession late in the game, you know, I'm just surprised we haven't seen him. He's played you know four games all season, 180 minutes. Um, that's not really enough time to you know, get into a flow. Even even so, he has, does have that one assist, and I, I do think he's a guy that we should see more of as this team pushes towards the playoffs, hopefully to actually make the playoffs. Yeah, I uh, I don't think we'll ever see it, though. I really don't. I think, uh, barring injury, um, he's probably going to spend the rest of his season on the bench, and I don't think he'll be coming back. I don't know how long his contract is for, but the fact that he's been healthy and he hasn't played uh, it just it speaks volumes to me. I, I think there's probably some kind of contractual agreement where Steve Nichol is obligated to kind of keep him on the roster. Um, it's the only thing that makes sense to me is that there's going to be some kind of penalty if we trade him or let him go or release him. Um, but that's all speculation on my part. I'm not an insider on the contracts there, but you got to think about it. Uh, there's got to be some reason why he's just not playing. But you, you know, I just don't know with this team about uh, the left midfield spot. It's something that they've always needed someone for. Um, I don't think they've really had a consistent guy who's, who's been good there since the days of Brian Kamler. And Castro, to me, is, is uh, certainly a, a more skilled option than Wells Thompson. I don't think there's much question there. I mean, Wells Thompson brings something different to the table, but to me, I, I can't see starring Wells Thompson over Castro unless there's something about Castro that you know I don't know. Because to me, he hasn't looked bad in the games he's played. He's, he's looked good. Um, I agree. Kenny, Man- Kenny Mansali uh, has shown flashes there, but again, he's certainly not been consistent at all, and his service has not been consistent. Um, to me, this team has you know, three or four players that can really keep possession and hold up the ball. Steve Ralston, who's of course out for the season, um, Shari Joseph, who you know is hurt and maybe maybe he's going to miss out this weekend. Hopefully not, but you know we don't know the situation on that yet. And uh, then Yankowskis, to an extent, has you know done good with this team keeping possession. And then there's Castro, who has the skill and the smarts to keep possession. And I think it's important that you have you know those those guys out in the field, especially when Ralston's gone. I think it's even more important to have Castro out there uh, because this team this season has not been good at keeping possession. Um, they they showed some good good signs in the first half against Colorado, which I was impressed with. But I, I do think yeah. when you have Castor out there, um, along with Joseph, they do a lot better um, as far as holding on to the ball. Because Castor wasn't one of those guys that, you know, you're going to give him the ball, he's going to kick it and run forward like we see from Niasi and Mansali most of the time, you know, trying to take somebody on. You know, if, if he doesn't see something going forward, he passes the ball back and, you know, plays it smart. And I, I think that right there is a valuable asset. I mean, he, he creates these chances. But when he doesn't see something going forward, he doesn't try to force something. And I think that's you know an important characteristic from him. And he's also dangerous at set pieces, uh, particularly with the left foot and with the right foot, which is something you don't see from a lot of players. And without Steve Rawson out there, I don't think you have really have a consistent guy at those either. And this is a team that scores a lot of goals on set pieces historically. And one that, as we've said, hasn't done well at creating too many chances this year. And set pieces are even more important because of that. Uh, People talk about Darius Barnes' long throw-ins. I believe that have led to one goal the entire season, and that was in Superliga. Um, I, don't, I don't know about what your thoughts are on those, but that's that's another topic entirely. But just as far as Castor, I think he provides that dangerousness on free kicks. Certainly, an alternative to drop the run on so you basically know he's going to shoot it. Um, you know, can occasionally put in a decent cross as well. But I think overall, Castor adds a lot um, to this team. Uh, maybe you question his defensive abilities. I don't know what it is that Nickel doesn't like about his play. Uh, he's certainly not as fast as Mansell at tracking back, but I think he's a smart player and gets in situ- doesn't get in situations where he's going to get caught out too badly uh, against his marker. Right. And, again, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's some 
bonus incentive or I, to me it's got to come down to the contract. Uh, there's got to be some reason why he's not playing. Is there a whole bunch of money we have to pay him if he plays a certain amount of minutes? <laughs> I mean, I, is is there's is there some logic behind Steve Nichols' decision to leave him on the bench? Uh, it's I, crazy because why go out and sign a guy for you know that kind of money if you're not going to play him? <laughs> the question why sign him in the first place? Same with Badia. Exactly. So. Uh, it's the same with Padilla, in, in my opinion. I mean, you've got these guys, and yeah, there were some injuries early in the season, and you've had guys like Emmanuel Osei step up and Darius Barnes step up, and we should talk about Darius in a minute because he's really done well. But, you know, these guys like um, Osei and Alston have won their starting uh, spots in the roster. And I don't think you can take it away from those guys, but like, and we're, we beat this left midfielder horse to death. But that is a spot that's up for grabs, and you think you'd want the competition there. And you've got guys like um, Wells Thompson, and uh, who's a serviceable substitute. You know, for me, he comes strong off the bench, and that's his strength. Um, I don't see him as a starter. He just kind of seems to get in the way of things and doesn't get involved enough in the in the, uh, the attack. But uh, I think he is a very serviceable substitute just because his work rate is so huge. I mean, he runs tirelessly up and down the pitch. Yeah, um, and he, and he but, needs to eliminate the, uh, the stupid yellow cards that he gets so frequently oh for God. completely unnecessary you know, things that do not in any way help the team out, no, not professional fouls, just, you know, completely unnecessary fouls that he commits or yelling at the ref. And, you know, he talks about that all the time, but then, you know, last week again, we see him get another one. So yeah, it, that's an aspect of his game that he's had plenty of time to work on, and we still really haven't seen improvement there either. I certainly, I agree his work rate work rate is great. You know, he, he gives everything he has, I think, when he goes out in the field. And, you know, that's great to see. But I agree with you that he's, he's not – he shouldn't be a starter at this level, in my opinion. No, I, and it's it's tough to say because there's always going to be a soft spot in our hearts for Wells Thompson. I mean, he did score the third goal in the uh, U.S. Open Cup. That was our first piece of silverware for the Revs. So, you know, we'll always have fond memories of him. He'll have a place in uh, Revolution lore for all eternity. But uh, let's go back to Darius Barnes. I mean, here's a kid who's just come out of college, and uh, he's starting center back in a very physical and aggressive league. Um, and I think maybe it touched bases on uh, Jankowskis. I mean, I think Jankowskis has been put off a bit about how uh, physical this this league is. But um, you look at somebody like Darius Barnes, who's come out of the college system and he seemed to have no difficulty adjusting the college system is a uh, very different game yeah that, that's for sure and I think uh, as you mentioned Barnes did an incredible job adjusting defensive I mean playing center center defense is not an easy position at all especially to jump right into and start really right from day one I think he's the only player in MLS let alone rookie that has played every minute this season I think I saw that stat the other day which is extremely impressive uh from him, and certainly is a rookie of the year candidate. Uh, he scored some unfortunate own goals that I, I don't think you can really blame him for too much, and I think that maybe takes away from it a bit. But I, I think he's done a great job. Um, you, you can't really compare him to a guy like Parkhurst. I'd say um, people say you know he's he's done a great job replacing him, but I don't think any one player has replaced Parkhurst because I think Parkhurst really allowed this team to play the three-five-two as well as they did, and I, I don't know if any of these defenders uh, could do that in the same way, um, but He's done a great job, and as I, as I said, he should be a candidate for Rookie of the Year. And he's also provided a new weapon for the Reds that I mentioned earlier with those long throw-ins, something that you know they should take advantage of, but maybe not use every single time down there because then it just becomes predictable. <laughs> every once in a while, they could throw in a short throw-in. I think they did once um, a couple weeks ago, and they played it to Ralston, and Ralston sent it across, and they almost scored off of it like the one time all season they've done that, and that was much da- more dangerous than any of the, the throw-ins we've seen lately, but... 
Uh, they haven't really done that since. So I, I do agree with you. He's done a great job. Him and Osei have formed a really solid partnership back there. Um, over a short period of time, right from the beginning of the season, they were looking good doing that. And I think the defense in general has been you know, pretty solid all season long. I don't think that's been the problem with this team. So uh, I, I do think that had this team been doing better, had the offense been performing better, that Barnes would probably be the leading candidate for Rookie of the Year. And even even as is, he should be one of the top ones. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's hard always when you have a defender um, who's not scoring goals and stealing the headlines. Um, you know, Kevin Alston is a bit more flashy. He's got a bit more flair. He's definitely got a bit more hair. Um, but he's uh, he's more visible on the pitch too during the you know general broadcast of a MLS game. He's visible. You can see him. You can. He's involved in the attack. He's you know charging down to, uh, the attacking midfielders and the wings and the forwards and and he's getting involved in you. Know, Darius Barnes is a stalwart in the back, but, you know, he's just not getting those headlines. So um, it's it's nice to hear the rumblings about him getting consideration for uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, I don't know if somebody like Freddie Montero is eligible, but even if he isn't, you got guys like Steve Zakawani, um, who's done very well out in Seattle as well. So, I mean, and then there's the... I uh, see the uh, guy who's playing. See the MLS awards tracker has Barnes up to second for uh, rookie of the year. Obviously, that's not the official voting or anything, but that's interesting to see him get that recognition there with Omar Gonzalez, uh, the LA Galaxy defender, up at number one. But there's there are some other options up there, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Stephen Fry, the goalkeeper for Toronto, yep. has has done a good job taking over the starting spot, and then Chris Pontius for DC United kind of came out of nowhere to get a starting spot there, uh, as well as yep. Zach Wani, the number one pick for Seattle, but. Uh, um, I do think that Barnes, you know, looked at as a second second option for rookie of the year. That's a great thing to see. And you know, over these next few games, I think if the Reds make the playoffs, uh, that'll that'll help his case there. But uh, like you were saying, this is a guy that's just come out of college and he stepped up to MLS. And I think his sense positionally is incredible um, for his rookie year. I, he seems to be in the right place at the right time, kind of the the same way that Parkhurst was. Uh, as I said, he's not the same player as Parkhurst, that's for sure. But he does have that same knack for being in the same, the right place at the right time. That's very impressive to see from a, a rookie, and very important for a center defender, especially with Ose uh, out there, who sometimes you know likes to get forward a little bit out of the defense and dribble up sometimes, and you know that can lead to turnovers and get in back there. But Barnes does a great job being in the right place, you know, pretty much all the time. Yep, and I, I that was the guy I was thinking of was Omar Gonzalez, and and. Looking back now, I realize that you know Michael Parker's was Rookie of the Year, and uh, there were a number of the more recent rookies or rookies of the year were um, defenders. So it's not unheard of, um, and it could happen easily. But Omar Gonzalez has had a standout year for LA. Uh, really flourished under Arena and that whole system. And uh, obviously, we've seen the impact that Arena's had on the LA Galaxy. Uh, everybody kind of laughed when they hired him, but he's proven everybody wrong. Um, looking ahead to the next three games for the Revs, uh, obviously, two games against Columbus and uh, one game against Chicago. And. Uh, Two back-to-back home games, then the last final game in Columbus on the road. What do you see for the Revs there? How do you how do you see the Revs finishing up these last three games? Well, it's certainly not an easy schedule, but um, you look at these teams as the two teams ahead of the Revs in the playoffs. First of all, these are the teams that if the Revs do make the playoffs, they're going to need to beat to get anywhere. So it's, it's a good test right here if they lose all three games, they're not going to make the playoffs, um, most likely. And certainly if they do, then what's the point of them going anyways because they're not going to get past them in the playoffs if that's the case. Uh, but there are two home games to start, and the refs have been very good at home. Uh, despite their struggles, 
Uh, they are seven three and three at home. That's not a bad record by any marks uh, at home. They've they've gotten the results um, at Gillette Stadium this year. So hopefully they can continue that. They've beaten lots of teams this year that you didn't expect them to beat. I think they went into that Colorado game, uh, a place where they never do well, with a, a lot of injured players going into that. And I, I think that they looked impressive in the first half. And, you know, the penalty kick seemed to kind of un- unhinge them a bit. Um, but uh, they probably should have came up with a win, being up a man for a, the, a good portion of the second half. However, they did look very good in that first half. I think that was a positive sign. Um one thing that worries me is at home, this team has been very slow uh, starting off these matches, and that's something that they can't afford to do against Columbus. Uh, so that's the key for me in this game against Columbus is to get off to a quick start, because if they do, I think they can, can get a win against Columbus. I don't think Columbus has been playing their best uh, right now. I think they're a very, very good team. I think they're the team to beat in the playoffs. Uh, but like we said earlier, they do have the Champions League to worry about as well. Um, they are missing Chad Marshall. They have been missing him for a little while. And you know he's been a, he's been a key defender for them over the years, um, but they are a very talented team. A guy like Guillermo Barrascoloto is very hard to stop. I think you do need Charlie Joseph for this match. If he's out injured, uh, it's a whole other story. But if he's out there, I think you need to keep him at defensive midfield to keep Columbus in check. Um, I don't think we're going to see Yankowski. Then where does your office come? <laughs> well, that that oh, your is offense a, is gone. That is an important question. <laughs> I think Dubé. He's probably going to get the start again because I don't think Yankowski is going to get back. Um, I'd like to see Castor out there creating chances again, and I'd like to see um, Niasi get the start over Wells Thompson on the right, hopefully, and use his speed again. He's been inconsistent, but uh, we have seen Niasi link up well with Dubé uh, a couple of times. We saw it in the Superliga. Uh, we saw it recently for the cross that um, Dubé headed in, uh, that they are capable of linking up. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be easy for this team to score against Columbus. They've been a great team defensively. Uh, this year, giving up just over a goal per game. And uh, I don't think that's going to be an easy task for them by any stretch, even if they were to put Chaudhry up. But I do think you need Chaudhry in the midfield, both to control their offense and to create stuff out of the midfield. Because if you start out this match with Phelan and the Runowitz, uh, I don't think it's going to go that well. I'm not really sure what your other options are there. Because I, I do think if they start with a four-man midfield, and it's the Runowitz and Videra or Luca as the center midfield, um, they're not going to be able to stop Columbus's attack. And I don't think they're going to generate enough offense to counteract that. Yeah, and I don't think we'll see Luca in the attack again. Um, I think he did well against Colorado, um, but I think that was a, it, you know, maybe we will. I, I shouldn't say we won't, but maybe we will. I think he was fired up for that game. I, I certainly his, think uh, he was. Old team and... They had, they were the ones that had drafted him out of the Super Draft, and uh, I think he had something to prove. Um, at, at the least, though, I would say he has earned himself you know, some playing time off the bench. I think if you know, Videra happens to be the one who starts, and he's been kind of inconsistent as well. At the start of the season, I thought he was looking awful. I thought he was you know, completely uninvolved and you know, pretty much invisible out there. Towards the middle of the season, he really came on strong and was looking like a you know, great player for this team, someone that you know, could really step up and kind of play in that role, the role that Steve Rawson's been playing, but, you know, obviously you can't be the same player as Steve Rawson, but, you know, at least fill in in that role and do a, a good job. Uh, but more recently, again, he's kind of been more invisible. I don't think we saw much from him against Colorado. Obviously, he only played the last, you know, eight or so minutes, but uh, I, I don't know. Who do you start? If you start Dubé as forward, which I think is, you know, pretty likely because you really don't have many other options at this point, um, who do you start next to him? It's either, looks like it's either going to be Luca or Videra unless you put Joseph up top, which I don't think they're going to do to start the match. You know, if, they need to, if they need to go late, uh, we'll probably see that. But I don't think I don't think, I think think it's unlikely that we see Joseph up top to start. I think you're right. I don't think we uh, would, would see Joseph leave the defensive midfield, especially with uh, GBS out uh, and av- available to the crew. I just don't see that happening. Uh, but, you know, back to Vidira, I think Vidira is, again, a victim of Nickel playing people out of their natural position. Um, he's a midfielder. He's has a tendency to play further back and make those runs on a goal, not to hold up the ball. Um, he's obviously very skilled, and, and he uh, was kind of unfortunate that the start of his career was 
kind of cut short by injury when he went over to Scotland. Um, and, the, you know, the Revs drafted the right stone right out of the bat, and, you know, right out of the draft there. So uh, he decided to go overseas, make a run of it, didn't work out, got injured, recovered, came back. And uh, like you said, he he had signs of brilliance. Um, there was a one game where he got red carded for the most ridiculous call I've ever seen. I mean, I think it was a Super League game, and he went up for a head ball, and the ref said straight red. Yeah, I, I remember uh, that. That was uh, surprising to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think the Revs still ended up with a tie or winning that game. Um, but uh, Vidira, like I said before, he's not the answer at forward. Um, well, so what question, do you do? Do you put Mansali back up front? I, I don't know. You can put Man. I mean, I think that's a, an option to play him behind Dubé. I don't know if that's... I mean, maybe it is the best option just because of lack of other good options. But I, I, my thing with Vidira is... Now, where does he fit in this team's lineup? I don't think he can play. I don't. I don't think in the way that the team is setting up right now, he could play next to you know Jeff Deronowitz, uh say in a in a four man midfield. I don't really think that would work. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't. I just don't see him playing that role either. Um, I could see him more in a you know again in a three five two as you know the the attacking man in the center of the midfield. You know behind two forwards. I think he would work well there. But I'm not really sure there is an ideal role for him in this. This team's midfield, um, maybe next to Joseph, uh, with Joseph staying a little bit further back, uh, that would work. But I don't think that they really have the the two-way midfielders to to play a 4-4-2 with him in the center. And I'm not really sure that he has the defensive capabilities to you know to play next to say Jeff Ronowitz if they wanted to play him there. Um, so you know maybe Mansali isn't a bad option up top, and just because of the the lack of options, putting him up there and using his speed to kind of run off Dubé. Um, Again, in the Superliga, obviously against different competition, but Dubé and Mansali were playing up top, and they looked very good uh, together yeah. up there. They were combining very well. Uh, we haven't seen that since then, however. You know, maybe you can get lucky and put them together again and you know, ignite something for the stretch run, but you know, that's certainly going to be you know, the question right there. Who plays forward? Uh, I think Dubé is certainly going to be up there, uh, but who plays next to him? Right. And, you know, the other option, obviously, Castro could play more of a withdrawn forward uh, attacking midfielder and a uh, kind of a 4-4-1-1 or a 4-5-1. I'm not sure if we'll see that. Castro obviously not having any playing time would be kind of a risky move. Um, But, you know, that's what uh, this is all about here. I noticed uh, looking at the schedule upcoming at both um, DC has a bye week and uh, lots of people do I guess I mean yeah and again looking at the rev schedule coming up uh, we mentioned Columbus which obviously in first place in the league tough match um, Columbus hasn't been putting on the, the best performances lately they haven't been playing at the, the top of their game which again we mentioned they have a tough schedule this Champions League uh, is a tough situation of traveling all over you know, North and Central America for those games um, it takes its toll. Uh, we, as you mentioned, they lost to Seattle at home, one nothing, which is very surprising. Uh, but again, that came this, the same week that they got a great tie against uh, Saprissa, who's a difficult team to play against. That puts them in, you know, a good position going forward. Um, Gabriel Badia's old team. Yeah, exactly. Puts them in a, a good position going forward uh, in the Champions League, and they probably have a lot of focus on that right now. Um, because they've locked up their playoff spot in MLS, and it's a pretty safe bet that they're going to lock up uh, top place in the Eastern Conference you know, sooner or later. I don't think Chicago's going to catch them. Um, but then, again, again, the Revs have Chicago coming up, and they can get lucky in that one because uh, Blanco has been called up to the Mexican national team. He's also dealing with an injury. Um, I know their game's a couple days before that, but uh, Chicago's probably going to have a playoff spot locked up by then, or there's a decent chance of that. So, you know, I wouldn't be too surprised to see Blanco even... You know, rested in that game or used as a sub because you know if he goes out and plays for Mexico, he's probably going to be tired. He's already carrying you know an injury. He didn't play last weekend, 
Um, so they could get lucky in that game and not have to play against Blanco, and I think that would be a huge uh, thing for the Revs and make that game a lot more winnable for them. And, you know, Chicago hasn't been playing quite as well as they were earlier in the season as well. Uh, these two teams um, aren't at the top of their game right now. I know they lost to Los Angeles on Friday and really didn't look that great in that game. It was actually a pretty good game, but I, I didn't think Chicago looked that outstanding. Um, prior to that, in September, they, did, they went winless in September. They tied all their games then. Uh, they finished off August, you know, with losses against D.C. Um, they, they beat Colorado at home, but they also lost to Los Angeles before that. They have won one game, I believe, in their past seven matches. Uh, they're not looking very impressive right now. I think they're a team that the Revs can beat at home, and hopefully they will beat at home because that's going to be an important match. You know, if they can beat Columbus and beat Chicago, uh, at that point they'll have locked up a playoff spot, basically, so I don't think the last game against Columbus down the road will, will matter as much. Uh, but I do think they need to get these points at home uh, instead of you know hoping that they can get a point, get a point or two, get a point or a win in Columbus. Um, but to me, these games are winnable uh, if Charlie Joseph's out there and if the Revs are playing as good uh, as they did against Colorado in the first half. Uh, I, I didn't even think they looked that bad against Dallas. Um, they they were unfortunate to you know not create more chances. Hopefully they they can do that in the future against Columbus and Chicago. They're going to need to do that because they're better teams than Dallas. But Dallas was a hot team right now. That was a tough match against Colorado. I think they coming coming into the match as I mentioned earlier, a point I would have been happy with. You know the way they played. You know I was hoping they were going to get a win out of that match. I didn't, I thought they were going to lose that match for sure heading into this road trip. So you know that was a, a bit of a positive sign there. So maybe they can come away with you know four points or six points against these two games against Columbus and Chicago, and you know be in pretty good shape uh, to make the playoffs. I, as I said, Columbus is going to be tired from all their road trips, and they're going to have more road trips coming up. Chicago has uh, Blanco's away on international duty. I don't know if they have a couple more players away. They have a couple of injuries that they're dealing with. Um, and, and they, as I said, the last game they won was August 23rd, so they're not playing at the top of their game, and these two games are games that the Revs can and really need to win. Yep, and you look at the remaining schedule for some of these other teams. Uh, like I said, D.C. United has a bye this week. Uh, they are on the cusp of making the playoffs if uh, the Revolution don't get these home points, or at least uh, three points, they are in uh, danger of not making the playoffs, period. Well, again, D.C. Uh, has DC a tough schedule, only two too. points behind. D.C. has to, uh, has also, with two games left, the Revs do have a game in hand on D.C., um, as you mentioned, two points behind. Uh, if the Revs can you know, get a couple points out of these games, I think they're in pretty good shape because you know, D.C. also has Columbus... Um, and a game that they that they'll they'll probably need to win to make the playoffs. Um, and then they finish on the road against Kansas City. Of course, Kansas City a team uh, by all rights eliminated from the playoffs. But at the same time, I think they're going to want to finish the season strong and their final home game of the season. They're going to come out to play in that game. So it should be interesting to see how that goes because I don't think DC has an easy schedule either. And as you mentioned, they're in the Champions League. So before that final game against Kansas City, they have a, a away game uh, in Costa Rica, I believe, or no, actually in Mexico, I think. Um, yep. for that game. So that's going to be difficult for them as well to go and play that game. That takes a lot out of teams traveling to Mexico, as we've seen in the past. And, you know, they may go into Kansas City, have a Kansas City team that you know, is on the outside looking into the playoffs, but a lot of guys fighting for their jobs, they could lose that. I, I think D.C. is going to have a hard time making the playoffs. I think the Revs, um, if the Revs can even pick up, you know, a couple points in these next games, I, I do think that they'll beat out D.C. Not necessarily make the playoffs, because there's also Toronto right back there, too, you know, with a chance. Uh, of making it. And then even below that, you see uh, Salt Lake and Dallas, who have you know, been playing better lately and have an outside chance. But I, I think D.C. is in a, in a hard situation right now. If, you know, if I'm looking at D.C.'s schedule and I'm looking at where they are in the standings, I think they're going to have a tough time. Right. And this is really the uh, week for people to make up their uh, games in hand. Uh, you look at Toronto playing Real's, Real Salt Lake. They're at 27 games each. Uh San Jose actually has a few games. <laughs> They're playing twice this week. So uh, by the end of the week, they'll be at 28. Uh, FC Dallas is at 27. So they'll be at 28. Kansas City is at 27. They'll be at tw 28. Uh, Chivas is um, at 26 games. So they could do some real damage. You know, this is the first time in my memory 
that I can see uh, five Western Conference teams in the finals or in the uh, cup playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Western Conference has traditionally, you know, had some great teams, but overall has probably been the the weaker team, you know, at the bottom anyways of, of the wrong. We saw even New York over there um, managed to squeak into the playoffs and over on the West side and somehow make it all the way to the final. I don't think we've ever seen five Western Conference teams that I can recall either in the playoffs, and it certainly is possible right now. Uh, we could even see six. Who who knows? I mean, the Revs might might fall out of there, and I, right. I don't think we it's... Right, Salt Lake wins all the... And even Dallas. I think Dallas is, or, playing, uh, Dallas has probably been playing the Dallas best soccer too. of anyone over recent weeks. Uh, they finish off the season against San Jose, um, which is certainly a winnable That's game for them. And then at home to Colorado, which is another game that you know, they can win. And then at Seattle, you know, they win all three games. Uh, there's a good chance they could be in the playoffs 42. because um, they're only one win behind D.C. United, and they have a game on hand on D.C. United. Uh, Salt Lake is just two points behind D.C., and they also have a game on, on hand on D.C. You know, To be honest, I'm more worried about these teams possibly catching the Revs than I am about D.C. because I don't think D.C. has been playing that well. I think D.C. has got a tough schedule, as we mentioned, uh, both in the league play and uh, with the CONCACAF Champions League, I think they might even be more focused on that right now uh, with that tough schedule. And we know in the past that they've done well um, in some of these international competitions. Uh, but there are a whole lot of teams that could catch up to the Revs. Uh, however, the Revs' destiny is still in their own hands. If they win out the season, if they even win two games, um, I'm pretty safe bet that they're in the playoffs. I don't think any team can get more than 44 points to catch the Revs right now. So if the Revs win two games, they'll be at 44 points. And if some team manages to win out, I think they could potentially tie the Revs in the standings. I believe, uh, I believe DC, if they if they were to win their last two games, could um, well DC's at 36, so they could only get to 42. So I, th- I think if the Revs get two wins, they're basically assured of a playoff spot. Um, so I, it's really in their hands. They have two home games. As I said, they've been good at home. They're playing two teams that aren't at the top of their game right now. Uh, if they played Columbus, they were lucky that they didn't have to play Columbus earlier in the season when they were really dominating. Uh, right now, Columbus hasn't been playing that great. Chicago certainly hasn't been playing that great. Um, so I, I think the Revs, at, at looking at the schedule, I think the Revs do have what it takes to make the playoffs as bad as they've been at times this year. Right. So, so two wins, two wins, at the 40. 40. Oh, is that my voice? Yuck. 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 Must be, uh, Must be uh, getting time. Getting time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, 44 points. And uh, really annoying feedback. But 44 points would uh, basically put them ahead of Chicago. Yeah, 44 points uh, could potentially see them finish in second for uh, for all we know the way Chicago's been playing. Second is second is still actually in their hands as well with these three games. Um, I don't know if that's realistic, but I do think that you know they have a very good shot at making the playoffs. Whether they do anything in the playoffs. Uh, beyond that, you know, we know Nickel can put together, you know, a very strong team, or at least tactically a very sound team for the playoffs, and you know, cause some damage. I think even last year we saw uh, the Revs, you know, look pretty solid, even though they eventually ended up losing to Chicago. Uh, every time they're in the playoffs, they do they do look like they can go somewhere, and who knows? They've got a lot of guys injured. It's hard to say that they could, you know, make too much damage in the playoffs, but. I do think that they have what it takes to make the playoffs at this point. As weird as that sounds with all the guys out injured, uh, more so because of how other teams are playing and because of how things have lined up. But it, looking at their schedule, I don't, I don't look too. Uh, I, I do have hope that this team is going to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I just got some good news for us. Uh, Frankie Hiduk has been called up into the national team, so Columbus will be uh, without Frankie this weekend. Without Chad Marshall, without Robbie Rogers, uh, without uh, Andy Grunenbaum, but I think uh, Will Hesmer has been their chief stopper this year, even though some people prefer Grunenbaum. Um, anyway, could be good. Oh, and they've got another guy out on red card suspension, um, O'Rourke. Oh, their their uh, defense is certainly going to be hurting without Marshall O'Rourke. Uh, and Hayduk, that's for sure. That's just, um, they're three real veteran guys in the back line. So, you know, maybe the Rose are going to be able to exploit that. Uh, it would be nice if they had, you know, a stronger attack to sustain against them to, to really put pressure on them. But, you know, who knows? Maybe, uh, Dubay can get that one break he needs behind the back of the net and this team can hold on defensively and 
you know, get something out of there. Uh, that things are working in the Rose' favor right now. I would say, as far as scheduling, as far as call-ups, as far as injuries, uh, I, I do think that things are aligning so that the Revs, you know, barring some poor performances over these next three weeks and you know some good performances from these other teams, uh, are in shape to make the playoffs. I agree. So, uh, Sean, we've been going for about an hour plus. Um, it's a good first episode. I think it's uh, time to probably wrap this one up. But uh, get a prediction for the final score on Saturday night? Well, of course, I'm hoping – I'm assuming that Shari Joseph plays in this one because if he doesn't, uh, my prediction would certainly change. But I think on Saturday night, the Reds are actually going to put in a good performance and uh, come away with a, a 2 nothing victory. I'm not sure where the goals are going to come from, but I, I actually think we're going to see some of Castro in this game. I think he might set something up. And I do think Dubé might find the back of the net again. Uh, but that's all assuming Joseph is out there because if Joseph is not out there, I, I don't see the Reds winning this one. Right. I'm with you there. I think it's going to be a 2-1 to one win for the Revs. Um, I think GBS will actually find the back of the net. But uh, counting on Shelby Joseph and uh, maybe a surprise goal from someone. Maybe another uh, Sandy Nasty beauty. We haven't seen a lot of Jeff Derenowitz long-range goals this season either that we've seen last year, so maybe we'll see one of those. Maybe he's due for Absolutely. one. Absolutely. He's due. All right, and then uh, after the game on Saturday, um, are you going to be hanging out at the CBS scene? Uh, I might be. We'll we'll see how uh, what time I wrap up finishing my story for that game. I believe I believe they're showing the uh, United States game there. Yeah, I heard that, is, and I think uh, they're charging fifteen dollars or something to see it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it cost them three thousand dollars to get it. So, kind of insane kind of, how that that worked out. I, it's shocking that in you know this day and age that a World Cup qualifier isn't on TV that we can watch at home. <laughs> I know, it's pathetic. Yes. Well, let's wrap it up, and uh, I'll see you at the game on Saturday. I hope. Yep. And, hope, uh, hopefully, a positive result there that we can talk about later. Positive vibes. <laughs> All positive. Always groovy. All right, uh, so that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Thank you, Sean Donahue of Revolution Recap, and uh, we'll hopefully do this again real soon. Thanks a lot for having me, Hank. Hey, my pleasure. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.